Father, we praise you as we stand in this moment, Lord. We declare that you make us new. Only you can make us new. It's only by your power that we are saved, Jesus. It's only through you, Jesus, we have access to the Father. We praise you, Father, for sending your Son. We praise you, Jesus, for your obedience of dying on the cross. And we praise you for the result, God, of making a mockery of the enemy. Making a mockery of the separation between human beings and God. And making a way for us to know you for eternity. We praise you for your power. God, we praise you for your creation power. We praise you for that power that's been then released in the life of every individual who now is walking in relationship with you, Jesus. Father, we praise you that you are a God to be blessed. Even the, the times when you give and the times when you take away God. When the times when we receive what we pray and the times when seemingly nothing happens. We praise you that you are worthy of all of our honor. And we're asking this morning, God, that you would do what only you can do, which is bring an awakening to the hearts of human beings, to the reality of who you are. We ask for more of you this morning, Jesus. We ask that you come and do this because only you can. Father, we pray this in your strong name, Jesus. Amen. 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 You guys can be seated this morning. Just real quick, um, first and foremost, I did this at 9 o'clock, but I want to do it here because it's a different group of people. I want to just give a shout out to Allie Doss right here and Justin Boggs. Um, go ahead. Uh, when, uh, when that jerk Tate left, uh, led us, left us in a place, and they just stepped in and, and just took over. They've done a phenomenal job, and I'm thankful for them. Obviously, for all of our worship team, obviously this morning Lori's here, and then Josh Little's playing for the first time this morning. Yes, give a shout-out to Josh. And, and so I'm just, I just want you to hear me say that I'm thankful uh, for them on so many levels, and I'm thankful um, you get off my stage. Um, that's okay. Um, no, seriously. Uh, actually, not seriously. Seriously, I'm just kidding. I didn't really say the kidding part, sorry. Um, anyway, but I'm seriously thankful for all these, uh, all of our volunteers. I mean, we've got volunteers every morning. We've got uh, Eddie. Look at, see Eddie back here. We call him Eddie. Eddie. I mean, Eddie may have been serving the longest, right? He's back there on the computer. and He's, I mean, Ed, listen, Eddie, I was, the other day we were taking all of the stuff out of our basement from Shanestone. Remember that church? We went, yes. We drove to Spartanburg and spent one whole day going to a, going out of business sale at a church. And, uh. They were closing their doors, and we bought all this stuff, and Eddie went up, and we were like, I mean, it was just nuts. Tate went with us, that jerk. And so, no, I'm just, it's just an ongoing joke this morning. Anyway, so, um, anyway, I'm just thankful for all of our volunteers. I know uh, we've got our volunteers doing our hospitality, our hospitality team. Thank you very much. We have our ch- there's those who are working back in our children's ministry. And I would just say for you all, listen, if you consider Vintage Home, you're not plugged anywhere. Listen, we can get you plugged in in a lot of different ways, right? We always need help back in the children. We need... Like, Hey, I talked to, talk to Cy earlier, Eddie. He said we need a shout-out. Jeff is back here. I know Mark Freeman helps him out a lot back here on the soundboard. And if you'd like to get plugged in in any kind of way, we would love to get you plugged in. They would love to get you on that computer and teach you the ways of the force behind, uh, of the ways of the force on that computer. So we'd love to get you plugged in and get you involved and all that kind of stuff. And so if that's you, 
Let's make that happen. All right, let's do this. Take the baskets that went all the way down to the right or left from over here, right? I guess it's coming to, yeah, it's going left to right, right to left. Man, I got to mess up my head over here. Um, send those back down, tithes and offerings. Fill out a connect card. Just be the time to put that connect card back in there uh, so I can get uh, connected to you this week via email and let you know how thankful that I was that you were here. And so if you're new, I'd love to get a chance to meet you this morning. So before you leave this morning, at least give me a shout out. Shake If you like vintage, if you're willing to come back, you can shake my hand. If you didn't like it at all, then you can just leave. But, um, but if you want to come back, you know, shake my hand at least and say hey and let me meet you. All right. So last week, if you remember, I have to do a real quick disclaimer. I've already told Ashley and Brian over here about it. But last week, I, I couldn't speak, right? If you weren't here, I had vertigo on Friday. I woke up on Friday morning and my room started spinning really bad. And I didn't have anything to drink the night before. I'm just saying, right? I had vertigo and it was just really bad. And so I, so I thought I'd get over it. Saturday morning, I wake up. I'm still feeling terrible. So I call my buddy Danny. Danny Wan has been coming to Vintage for the last couple of years. said, hey, bro, you've got to fill in for me. He's like, yeah, I'd love to. 30 minutes later, he gets a phone call from, this, from a friend of his. I don't think I told you this last week at the 11 o'clock service. He got a phone call 30 minutes later from a guy, massive life crisis, and Danny didn't get to prepare for Sunday morning until early Sunday morning. And uh, he came and just did a great job of speaking. And if you remember, he spoke out of Ecclesiastes. And he talked about the reality of Solomon. You know, Solomon was, a, was the son of King David, so therefore he was the next king. And King Solomon had a great observation point to observe life. He's the king. Right. And so all these people get to come to, to Solomon. And what does he do? He's just one of those guys, because this is what people with wisdom do. They just survey. You know, those people when they they don't ever speak, but when they do, they listens because it's always got wisdom behind it, because they're the type, the type that just sit back and watch and observe in life. And so Solomon was one of those guys, right? He did life, but he sat back and he just observed. He observed life. He watched people, he, and he, he watched lots of things. And we read from, I think, I forget what chapter it was. I think it was chapter 4, but he came and finally said, listen, y'all. He said, I've spent, I'm just kind of paraphrasing here, so forgive me. But he said, listen, listen, he said, I sit back. He definitely did not say y'all. He was Jewish, and back, they didn't say that back in the day. It was a southern thing. But anyway, he came back and said, listen, I sit back all day long, and I just observe. And this is what I've observed about my own life and about the lives of people that are around me. Everything this side of heaven is meaningless. Meaningless, meaningless are all the things under the sun, and all the pursuits that man gives them to, and all the rivalries. Everything, everything that man does under the sun is in competition and in rivalry, right? Trying to, trying to attain to some place or to get something that they don't have, right? There's all of this stuff going on. He says, listen, all of this, everything is meaningless. Everything that's even good in, in a sense, right? And all the expectations that you have that, that, are, that are good expectations that are unmet. And all of these things under the sun and everything we give ourselves to and all the pursuits of humankind, all of them are meaningless. In comparison to what is worthwhile, which is the reality of being a people who live in relationship with an eternal God. 
All these things are meaningless. All your pursuits for a great job and all of your pursuits for greatness in life and all of your desires and all of your expectations and even all of your frustrations that are birthed out of unmet expectations. All of these things are meaningless and else they have no value in comparison to living our lives in the hand of a loving God. And this is the thing of great value. You have to wake up to it because in life we live for all of these things and they ultimately don't matter all that matters. And I'm telling you as a king who's observed everything and who's gone after every pleasure and had hundreds of wives and had everything to drink that I want and worshipped all these other gods, they're all meaningless compared to the reality is simply knowing an eternal God and the heaven that awaits us when we die. He had what I would call a perspective change. You all know what a perspective is. It's the way that you view life. And all, every single one of you have an unlimited amount of perspectives. You have a perspective way on the way that, on how children should be raised. You have a perspective on how our country should be run. You have a perspective on how good a job our president is doing. And if you don't, you simply turn to talk right in the morning and listen and get a, get, and get a perspective, right? Someone, everybody's willing to tell you their perspective. You drive down the street and you have a perspective on how the person in front of you and beside you and behind you should be driving. Because when they don't drive according to your perspective, you start cussing out and throwing the finger at them. And then so ask forgiveness. God, I shouldn't do that. Right? You do it. You know you do it. If you haven't, you have. If you haven't, if you haven't done it recently, you've done it in the past, right? You all know, you all have a perspective on how things should be done in life. And Solomon was that way. So listen, I had this perspective and I was living over here. And all of a sudden I realized in my perspective, my perspective was off. I was missing something. The eternal nature of God and how he works. I'd, and I had a wake up call to a new perspective on how to view life and my life and who God is. And this, all of these things related to my eternal relationship with him. Basically, he woke up and said, oh, my gosh, listen, I have been wasting my life in the perspective that I've been chasing after. And what I want to say to us is that many of us in this room are in the same scenario as Solomon. And all of us are in this in this room are in need of some level of perspective change in our lives. Because see, when I look at human beings and human nature, I recognize that all of us, all of us struggle in life in some form or fashion. All of us struggle in the perspective of life that we hold, specifically as it relates to our, pers- our perspective compared to God's perspective. You all know that God's perspective on humanity is perfect. He has a perspective and a view that is 100% accurate and perfect all the time. And he looks at humanity and says, I want you to have my perspective. 
But we live life all the time, unfortunately, with an improper perspective. We have a, a view of ourselves, a perspective of ourselves that's just not accurate. We have a, a perspective on how we view life and the, the way that we, that we look at life and maybe even the way that we wrestle with life. And so we wrestle with life and we live frustrated. Danny named it last week. We find ourselves in life and something happens, right? And we get frustrated and we get frustrated at God because why did God let this happen? So we live frustrated with unmet expectations, seemingly expectations that may be good, right? And we're living in this frustration and we're living with this desire for something weird. We're broken in desire of healing. And God, why aren't you bringing healing? And we're living in this place of this frustration, this, this place of anxiety about it, this, this place of just of defeat and being overwhelmed at every moment. And we listen, you wake up and you know it. You live with the expectation of being let down and frustrated and overwhelmed. You live in an expectation of not being victorious, but of being defeated. And Solomon said, all of those things, they're all meaningless, y'all. They're all meaningless. Everything under the sun is meaningless when you have a perspective shift to see God in his fullness and who he is. And you recognize, oh God, who cares if I die? I've got you. That's the perspective shift that he had in Ecclesiastes, all of these things and everything under the sun is meaningless when I compare it to the knowledge of knowing God. And so if I'm healed or not healed, whether I'm delivered or not delivered, it doesn't ultimately matter because when I die, I'm ultimately set free, I'm ultimately healed, and I have a relationship with the living God. Oh God, may there be this perspective change. Doesn't mean we resign ourselves to living in sickness and, and in hell and not deliver, but it means if those things don't come, before we die, guess what? It doesn't matter. And I don't have to live frustrated because I've had a perspective change on the reality of who God is. See, I have, I have perspective, perspectives in life, too. And I want to share this first one. I think it's of a great eternal purpose. I have a perspective about diving boards. And I'm really not serious. It's not really that important. But I have one. When I was a kid growing up, I had a perspective about how I view diving boards. I love diving boards. Everything about them. I love running on them. I love jumping off of them. I love doing some specific stylistic events in my, in my jump. I wanted to do a cannonball. All right? I wanted to make sure my legs were tight, my butt was going in first because it was the biggest thing, and I got a big, got a big old thing coming up. Right? What is that thing called? Splash. Thank you. Right? I want to do a cannonball. Then somebody taught me a preacher seat. It fits me, right? Where you just put your legs like this, hand over your head, and whatever. Right? I'm really good at those, right? So when I would go down there, and I was like, hey, everybody watch this, right? I was very confident in my diving, my diving board abilities. I had a perspective of myself being pretty awesome. Until... The crazy kids came. You know those ones, they see the diving board and, and they think about all the crazy things they could do that might possibly kill them. You know what I'm talking about? They think about, right, they press one another. Man, did you see this? And they run off and they do this flip. And the dude goes, oh man, I could totally beat that, right? And he runs and does like a flip and a half. He's like, are you kidding? That's all you can do? And somebody comes and there's like two flips. Like, watch this backflip, right? That's all you can do. There's a whole thing. I'm talking to Kelly. Kelly and I had this conversation about he and his brothers, right? That's what they used to do. How many of you had brothers or friends like that, right? You were the crazy dive board, diving board people, right? I hated you. I hate you, Kelly. No, I hated them, right? Because they would come down. What about I do? I'd have perspective that I can't do that. 
And all of a sudden I became paralyzed by this fear. Number one, that I wasn't the best at something. That I might not be able to do it. So it produced this fear of failure in me. So guess what I did? I just sat on the other side of the pool and just watched. Oh, that's, wow, so who really cares? You know what to do like that? Who really cares? I don't want to do that anyway. You know what I'm talking about. We all do that. Our kids do it today. Right? That's nothing. You used to see me earlier before you came down, right? This whole thing going on, right? And so I'm living in the moment, right? But I'm paralyzed because I'm like, my gosh, I can't do that. But let me tell you something. I was more athletic than all of them. I was awesome. I had the innate ability in me, an innate reality to do just the same thing, just like the same thing they were doing. I had the ability to run and do flips to do backflips, to do rolls. I don't know what else you can do on the day. But just think about it. I could have done it. I had the ability. And so what you have is this. I had a perspective over here. Sorry to always point at you on this, right? I had a perspective over here of a fear of failure. But I had inside of me the innate reality to be able to do exactly what they were doing. It was simply a shift of perspective. One of my favorite movies over the last couple of years is Blindside. You've all seen Blindside, right? You're all Christians? Okay. So, you know, I love Blindside. I love any movie about football. I just love football. I can't wait, man. Look, not this Thursday, but next. College football starts back up, right? I've been watching all the pro games. I'm digging it. Totally. I've already got signed up for three fantasy football teams. This is a holy moment for me, right? Good stuff going on here, right? So, anyway, I'm sitting here and I'm doing this and I love football. So, so, so this all comes in, right? So, you remember the story? I'll just kind of briefly fill you in. It's about this guy named Michael Orr. He ended up being the first round draft pick of the Baltimore Ravens, number 24 in the draft. And he was just a big, Big, dangerous man. Six foot four-ish something, right? 340-ish something, right? And so he steps into the school and he begins to play football, right? And everybody's like, oh, you know. So he goes into his first game. And he steps into the first game and everybody's, you know, they're playing a bunch of rednecks. That's important, right? A bunch of rednecks who just don't like black people. In the movie. What's wrong with them, guys? What's wrong with them? Seriously. So, so we've got this whole thing going on, and they're playing, they're, they're playing the game. In the first series, Michael Orr comes on. What happens? He gets completely destroyed by a guy half of his size. Pushes him around, makes fun of him, calls him all these names, and he just runs off the field. And everyone's like, oh, my gosh, here's another big guy who's a bust. This is awesome, right? So the, the other team scores a touchdown. They come back out on the field, and the same thing happens, right? So they decide, hey, let's run a toss sweep to the left. That means the running back runs. The quarterback tosses as they sweep to the left, a toss sweep, okay? So they do a toss sweep to the left. They start running, and Michael Orr's blocking his guy, blocking his guy, blocking his guy, and gets all the way down to the end. The defender releases from Michael Orr and tackles the guy for a two- or three-yard loss. And while Michael was laying on the ground, that redneck idiot comes over and kicks him in the head and says something foul to him. And Michael Orr just lays there, defeated. And then all of us, and he's, and here's the thing: he's living in a perspective, right? I'm defeated. I can't be victorious. I'm getting my butt beat over here, right? All these things over here, right? And all of a sudden, his coach goes right over to the official and says, did you see that player kick my player in the head? You tell him, blah, 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 whatever. And so the referee throws a flag up and he goes, thank you. And he says, unsportsmanlike conduct on the coach, on, this, on the green team, right on Michael Orr's team. And the coach just goes livid because he recognized all of a sudden 
that this referee is also a dumb redneck, all right, who does not like black people, and they're calling the game against him. And he goes over and grabs the flag, and he says, listen, this is my player on my team, and no one's going to treat him that way. I don't care if it's some sort of redneck SOB, which is what he said. I'm just telling you, right? Because it's true. In the moment, it says, you, he says, you cannot do that, right? This gets in his face. And all of a sudden, the, remember, the, you, you all, you've all watched the movie. The camera pans and does this right on Michael Lord. He's sitting there, and he just goes. And you know all hell about to break loose on the football field. Right? So he, Michael Horst says, grabs the coach, pulls him back, says, Coach, I got your back. Right? He goes, okay, okay, right? He kind of walks back, walks on the field. He goes to the quarterback and says, you call a play to my side. He's like, he's like, oh, great. He's like, no, seriously, you do it. Because in the eyes of the whole team, Michael's in a failure. Right? They've all believed this perspective about him. And so <clears throat> Michael gets up there. You hear like this whole little thing going on. You see him in slow motion. Down. Set. Right? And all of a sudden you go. And his eyes. And all of a sudden you realize this is not the same Michael Orr. You remember that scene? He takes the guy, the redneck idiot we don't like, takes him right here, picks him up, and drives him 80 yards down the field, through the end zone, all the way, and throws him over the fence. And he comes, the coach, and he comes back, and they're all, and he goes, coach goes, where were you taking? He goes, I was taking the bus. It was time for him to go home. (laughs) And all game long, what happens in the movie, he dominates. Let me tell you something. All, so he's dominating on the side. Let me tell you what happened. Michael Orr was the same Michael Orr over here, who simply had a perspective change, and he became who he was supposed to be in the first place. You see, he always had the innate ability. The innate reality was part of his life. He was able to dominate the moment he stepped on the field, but he was living in a perspective that he was weaker than he was. He was not capable of the things they were asking him to do until all of a sudden this idiot kicks him in the head and his coach stands up for him and he says, yes, that's who I am. And he dominates from then on and now is playing in the NFL. True story. When we live our lives, when we live our lives, I want to say to you that in God's eyes, we are always Michael Orr's. We are always those who can, we are always those who can dominate. We are always those in the eyes of God who can stand victorious and who can live life to the fullest. But we find ourselves captured over here in a perspective and we just sit back fearful with an angry and upset with all of these unmet expectations and all of these longs and all these desires and we're just living defeated because the whole time I'm sitting there watching this movie and we tell you what happened. I'm watching this scene again and again and again and again. We actually tried to burn it and cut out the, the nasty words in there you shouldn't say because we just want to honor you all on that. But we couldn't get it to burn and so we didn't so I told you the story instead. And so, but I'm sitting there watching. Every time I watch it, I start to tear up and just begin to cry. And I'm just like, this is weird. Why? I mean, this is a football movie. It's about a, it's about a big guy who plays football, right? Why am I crying? It's just a movie. It's a football scene. I love football, but I shouldn't cry about it. This is so weird. So finally I stop and say, God, why am I crying? 
And he said, because I view you that way every day and you don't even know it. In fact, most people don't. I realized he was just, there was emotion because he said, Steve, my heart breaks for you when you live in this perspective and I've created you for this. Every single one of you are in need of a perspective change in life in some little or major way in your life today. And I want to tell you the good news is you can't do anything about it really except allow God to awaken this reality in you. We're going to look at that here in Ephesians. So a couple of things I feel like God wants to awaken us to, perspectives he wants us to awaken us to and things he wants us to engage. Number one, the the first primary perspective we must embrace is this. God sees Jesus, not you. Okay, God sees Jesus, not you. What do I mean by that? Galatians chapter 3, 26, 27 says this. You are all sons and daughters of God through your faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. And so he's coming in the moment, he said, this this putting on or clothing ourselves, it refers to salvation. It refers to that moment that you make a, a turn, you make a shift in your life away from sin. And you turn and say, God, I'm sorry for living this way. Now, God, would you... Come and live in my heart, God. Would you change me forever? God, will you set me in pursuit of you now for the rest of my life? May that be my, my primary goal of going after you, God. Everything else is meaningless. I, get, I turn away from it, God, right? And I'm chasing after you. And so Paul's naming and says, this is who I'm talking to. Those who've done that. And he says, for all of you, were baptized in, for all of you who were baptized into Christ, you have clothed yourselves with Christ. Simply this idea that God has come and said, I now recognize that if you are following Jesus and you've given your life to him, a salvation moment has occurred, then you're on my team. When I look at you, you may be aware of all of your brokenness, and I am too. I know that it's there, but I want you to know in the midst of your brokenness, I recognize you're on my team. You're part of me. In fact, when I look at you, I see Jesus. That's pretty powerful because, you know, when God sees Jesus, he gets happy feelings, right? Because he loves his son, which means that when he looks at us, no matter where we are in life, he says, I see my son, therefore I love you. And how many of us live in this perspective over here going, God hates me. God doesn't love me. I'm just defined. I'm a wretched, sinful, horrible person and God can't even like me. And you live in this place over here every day of your life saying, oh, woe is me. Oh, all this kind of stuff, right? And God says, no, when I see you, I'm able to see you in a dual way. Yes, I know your sins while I'm moving you in a process of becoming more like Jesus every day. We call it sanctification, y'all, right? This idea of every day becoming more like Jesus. But the other side is, when I look at you, I already see you in right standing, which means I already because I see Jesus. And here's the thing. That has to be awakened, because when all of a sudden you have perspective change from being a sinful, Satan-loving idiot, that's how you see yourself in your own mind, right? And just shit, saying, oh God, you're looking at me, you think I'm awesome, you see my baggage, we know it's there, but you love me, I'm part of your team, this is awesome, God, I'm going to stand in this perspective. Because when you stand in this perspective, it changes the way that you view yourself, you others, and view your life. That's number one. Second thing we see is this. God's power, not yours. God's power, not yours. Ephesians 6, 10 through 13. We've read this before. It should be familiar to a lot of us. It says this. 
Finally, so in conclusion, Ephesians, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against humanity, flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, because this is true, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground after you've done everything to stand. So Paul makes a very clear declaration to us this morning. Everybody hear this. If you think that being a Christian is going to make your life super easy and great all the time, and you get to play with teddy bears and clouds and rainbows the rest of your life, listen to this real quick, okay? I don't know where teddy bears came from. They just seem snuggly. All right. So it's this. Paul says very clearly, the enemy's coming. The enemy is coming. If you think your life is going to be perfect forever, then you believe the non-gospel. A non-message of Jesus. Life, hell is coming. Difficulties in life are coming. Hardships. I want to go ahead and promise you right now. Hardships are going to occur. He says, listen, be strong because the day of evil is coming. The enemy is coming against you. And he's really, really big. Therefore, Therefore, you can't, because he's really big and you're really small, you need somebody really bigger. Like that, really bigger, great English. Much bigger, much larger, much more powerful. So what I want to give you is the power of the living God. If that's good enough for you. That's good enough, I promise, yeah. That's good enough. Because it's coming. Difficulties are coming. Hardships are coming. That's what Danny talked about last week. He said, listen, all of these things are coming in life. All these unmet expectations and all these fears and all these worries. You'll be paralyzed by fear. All these anxieties, all of this stuff. It is coming. You've got to be prepared. How do I prepare myself? Recognize you're clothed in Jesus and recognize you can't defeat it in your own power. You need the power of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus in you. Okay. We see this foreshadowing in, in Ephesians. Three different things we see Paul say. Number one, in Ephesians 1, 18 through 20, he says, I pray also. He says, listen, I'm praying for you, church. I'm praying for you. That the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Paul looks and says, hey, listen, I'm praying for you that you'll have perspective change to realize that the power that raised Jesus from the dead actually is in you. Are you serious, Paul? I am dead serious. That's why I'm praying it into you, because you need it, because in your own strength you can't make it. The second thing we find, Ephesians 3.16, says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, talking about the God, I pray that out of his glorious riches... He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being. He's coming again saying, listen, I'm praying that this will become reality, that you will shift perspectives and stop trying to conquer life in your own strength, but instead walk in the strength of God, moving and coursing through you so you'll be successful in all that you do in life, so that you will live the life that you're capable of living, empowered by God. The Spirit of God. We see in Ephesians 5.18, he says, Hey, listen, 
don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. This word filled has the, has the meaning of being controlled. You know that when you take a, when you drink too much, you either have or you've been around somebody who has, right? What happens? They no longer have control of what they're doing, do they? They can't drive a car anymore. They say the dumbest things and then regret later saying them. They do stupid things that shape their life forever, right? They no longer have complete control of their faculties. And so Paul comes and says, hey, listen, this spirit, that's given to you, you can drink of him every day. You can be filled by him every day. You can be controlled by him every day so that all of your actions and all that you do is ultimately controlled by the Holy Spirit moving in you. This is what I'm praying for you. Why? Because hell is coming. Hell is coming in your life. It's just a, it's a foregone conclusion. It's, just, it's a reality and for all of humanity. Hell is coming. Guess who it came to? It came to, the, came to Jesus... It came to all the disciples, and it came to him after, the, after he died, right? After the cross of Christ and the resurrection, hell was still coming after people. And Paul looks here and says, hey, listen, I'm going to promise you it's coming. You name it for your own life. You know what it is. And we can live in that moment in perspective saying, oh, my gosh, here comes hell. Things are so bad. God, where are you? My God, I'm so angry. I'm frustrated. Where are you? I'm so worried. I'm anxious. All this kind of stuff, right? We're over here. Oh, my gosh, God, oh, what am I going to do? He says, change your perspective. Why? Because all of that's just meaningless compared to the reality of an eternal God who wants to put you in his hand and continue through, even through hell. We have to know him. We have to be awakened to him. This is his reality for us in a perspective change. He's looking to say, listen, hell is coming. It's really big. And you need a perspective change because you can't fight it in your own strength. The first thing you need to know is that you're clothed in Jesus. And so you're on his team. You're on board with him. He's on board with you. He's in you. He's moving in you. Second thing is this. Wake up to the reality that you are like Michael Orr. You have the, and listen, listen. You have the innate reality to kick butt and take names right now. Why? Because the Spirit of God is already moving in you because you're on His team. And all you got to do is pick up the idiot, take him like this and say, Go! And you throw him over the fence and you destroy him. This is the heart of God. And you're like, but Steve, how do I get there? How do I get there? How do I change perspectives? I didn't invite Rhonda Dameron to come up here and share with us. She has um, uh, something last week that, that she was, um, felt like God was speaking in the moment. And I felt like it's a, a relevant um, uh, uh, story that goes with today. So I want to invite her and come and share it. And I'm going I'm to, you can go ahead and come. I'm going to end my, I'm going to um, use this kind of launch just right into the end part. But I want you to hear her story and just the practical reality of it. Um, back in November, I had come to church on a Saturday night when we was in the old building. I was uh, pretty down and sad um, because the gentleman that I had been working for uh, one day a week part-time for the last 20 years had found out he had cancer and he was dying and he wasn't saved. Um, I had tried to witness to him a little bit, like the first 10 years I worked for him. And then I met with him one day a week. 
to do his books. I was like his bookkeeper and payroll. And so about 10 years into working for him, I met with him one day and was really bold and shared Jesus with him. And for the next five years, I did not see him. He sent his son to meet with me. He would only talk to me by phone because he did not want to hear about Jesus. So when I found out that he was dying of cancer and he had about six weeks to live, it really crushed me because I thought, I've been working for him for 20 years and praying for his salvation, and he really didn't want anything to do with Jesus. So, um, like I told Steve, I don't even know what he preached that night. All I knew was that he had some uh, prayer teams that you could get with, and they would pray with you. Uh, the week prior to that, my husband had went with me um, to meet uh, Herman at his house, and we asked him if we could pray with him, and he he didn't want us praying with him. You know, when when you don't like Jesus, you really don't want people praying for you. So he said, if it'll make you feel better, you can pray for me. You and your husband can pray for me. But he really didn't want us praying for him. So when I come that Saturday, I just needed someone to agree with me and really pray for me to give me the boldness to talk to him again. Because I had been rejected now for 20 years. <laughs> and... um Herman was a mountain man. He had a construction company. He had a ser- several companies, but he was just a harsh man. You know what I mean? I mean, he respected me, but he was strictly business. You know, he never hugged me or we never ate or anything like that. He was just strictly business. So I uh, couldn't wait to you, you know, said for us to come up for prayer. So I come up and shared with a couple, and they prayed. And, you know, you just know sometimes when someone touches heaven for you, it was kind of like I knew that I knew that I had the strength to go back and witness to him one more time. And this was in November. And so the next week I went to meet with him, and uh, he got he was perfectly normal painting his house in September. By October, he's in a wheelchair. He can't walk. He can't use one of his arms. He's uh, He had bone cancer, so he was going quick. And uh, I get there to, um, you know, hopefully witness to him again. And his cousins was there. Um, he couldn't get out of the car. He was pretty much um, in a lot of pain. And they was building a ramp to try to get him out of the car into a wheelchair into his house. So it didn't even look like I was going to be able to witness. So I go in and start doing payroll and everything. And it was really cold out. So I went to check on him, and he was in a lot of pain. And I got him a pillow to try to prop him up in the car, and it was just like boldness rose up in me, and I thought, I'm going to try one more time. So I get in the car, and I just grabbed him by the hand and told him I loved him, and that really shocked him because he has never even touched me. I mean, not a hug, not a pat on the hand, nothing. So by me grabbing his hand and saying that was a real shock to him, and I just started sharing Jesus with him and told him I wanted him in heaven with me, and he started crying. And um, I got to lead him to the Lord. And I didn't share this in the first service, but he even shared with his son, who still to this day isn't saved. But I still work for him one day a week, so there's hope. (laughs) But he shared with his son that he was going to heaven and that he had prayed with me. Um, So, you know, I just want to say to y'all today that because someone prayed with me, it gave me the strength to witness to him. And it grieves me that um, Graham is over the prayer ministry team, and they come up here every Sunday, and they prepare, and they get here at 830 and pray to pray with us, and we never go up for prayer. And 
we need to because you are just like me. Y'all need prayer just like I do. You need someone to agree with you just like I needed someone to agree with me that night. And we got small groups that's about to start up. And I'm so thankful that Steve allows us to have church in the homes. And we need each other. So I just want to encourage y'all that when the prayer ministry team does come up, that y'all will come up and get prayer because prayer works. And, uh, you know, there's a couple people here today. David and Lane, are y'all still here? Yeah. You know, they believed in me 20 years ago. And then there's a man back there named Michael Ellis. And I just want to say this about Michael. I was in my 20s, and I've been meeting with April. I don't know if April's still here, and I love her. But um, when Michael met me, I was 20, wasn't raised in church. I didn't know the word. I didn't know who I was in Christ. I was confused. And he believed in me, and David and Elaine believed in me. And because people like this believed in me and poured into me, I believed in Herman. Does that make sense? I believed that he was going to accept Jesus. And I believe his son and and his wife and their children are going to come to know the Lord because that's where God's got me right now. So I just want to encourage y'all that when the prayer team does come up, please come up and get prayer. It works, and it will help you. Thank you. So this story for for Rhonda was this <clears throat> if you know her you know she's a powerful man oh, excuse me powerful woman of prayer powerful woman in, in of the word she knows Jesus and she was in this place and there was a perspective she'd been shut down and there was maybe not fear as much as well what's going on she's like I need someone to come alongside of me and simply just to pray with me and there's an awakening that happened I, I realized when I came back after doing this whole message I looked back at Ephesians 1 and I realized the whole book of Ephesians was birthed out of Paul's prayer in verse 18, which says, I pray also, chapter 1, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his imperably great power for us who believe. What you find in Ephesians 1 was the heart of a pastor who looked at the church at Ephesus and said, you have this perspective. And I'm praying for you every day because I know you can't get out of your own perspective. So I'm coming and interceding. I'm praying because I know chapter 6 is coming. And I know the enemy is coming. And I know that hell is coming. And I know the enemy is coming with an onslaught. And I recognize if you don't know that you're clothed in Christ, and if you aren't awakened to the incomparably great power of the Holy Spirit through you, then you're not, you're going to get crushed as he runs over you. And God's, and so Paul's saying, I want you to have a perspective change. I want you to have this awakening moment. And I believe what God is saying this morning for us is that as we come, and that's what I had Rhonda come, because I felt like God was speaking to Steve, there's just, I want to do something this morning through these ministry times. I want to do something in the lives of the people who come forward. I want to, as we pray over you this morning, this Ephesians chapter 1, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray. These teens are going to pray. God, just awaken them to the in, incomparably great power, the, the inheritance that you have for them in Jesus and the glorious riches that you have for them in the Spirit. In the Spirit. And so this morning we're going to, we're going to end our time a little bit different. We're not going to, I'm not going to officially close, but 
Al, you can go ahead and come forward. And we're just going to go straight into a time of ministry. If you need to leave in the midst of it, you're more than welcome to do that. But I, if you're at a place this morning and saying, Steve, I'm in desperate need of a perspective change. I'm living in this place over here and all these things are defining my life. I want to be set free. I want to see, I want to see what God sees that I'm clothed in Him. God, I want to see, I want to be awakened to the incomparably great power of the Holy Spirit in me. I want to be awakened in that so that when the day of evil comes, when all these things come against me, I can take my stand. And after they've all gone past me, I find that I'm still standing resolute in the power of the God who just gave his spirit to me to empower me to do this. That's what we're praying for. So if that's you this morning, ministry teams, why don't you all go ahead and come forward right now. Just go ahead and get planted. I'm going to pray over us. This is a people to, this is a people, and I'm going to release you to come forward and to receive ministry as God is calling. Father, we love you. We really do, Father. We thank you for your presence with us. We praise you that you are not satisfied with us living in this place, God, of brokenness, God, of, of, a, of an incomplete perspective, God, of a, of a human perspective. Lord, your desire is to come and to release us into the way that you see things and your godly perspective. And so, Holy Spirit, I say, come. Come, thank you. Thank you that you fill us. Thank you that we can drink of you every day, that we can be empowered by you. We can be controlled by you in our lives. Thank you that you come. Thank you, Jesus, for the breastplate of righteousness and the shield of faith and the sword of the word and the shoes of the gospel of peace and the helmet of salvation and the belt of truth, God. Would you come, Lord? This morning, I pray, Jesus, that you would call each of us to you this morning and open our ears to hear you. Father, we desperately need you. We pray this in your name. Amen. Come as you feel led.